0: This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. My generation of women, and certainly the generations living after me, have become so much more comfortable than our own mothers and grandmothers with talking about parts of our womanhood that were previously taboo to discuss. Periods, puberty, sex, childbirth. My friends and I talk about all kinds of details that would make my mom cringe, and the way that we talk to our daughters has also changed. But there is still one thing that women remain remarkably less candid about, menopause. And the decades before menopause and after menopause. This is something that so many women still feel shame or embarrassment or just bafflement around, it is a very isolating experience. I'm 43 years old, and while I have not entered menopause yet, my body and my hormones are naturally changing, and already I have so many questions. So when, at my annual appointment this year, my longtime doctor, Dr. Suzanne Gilbert-Lenz, told me she was writing a book called Menopause Boot Camp. I couldn't get her on this podcast fast enough. I trust Dr. Gilbert Lens. She delivered both of my babies. She has taken care of me in all sorts of ways for almost 15 years now. And the information she lays out in her book Menopause bootcamp is practical, relatable, so informative, and also holistic. Dr. Gilbert Lenz believes menopause is a whole life condition and deserves a wide-ranging approach that combines meditation and yoga, therapy, and herbal supplements, along with the most up-to-date science and conventional medical solutions. Susan Gilbert-Lenz received her medical degree from USC School of Medicine, and she completed her residency in obstetrics and gynecology at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center and UCLA. She appears frequently as an expert in women's health and integrative medicine on TV, in print, online. She's appeared on Today, CNN, Headline News, and more. And like I said, she has been my doctor for over a decade. Her new book is called Menopause Bootcamp, Optimize Your Health, Empower Yourself, and Flourish as You Age. I hope that you take as much from this conversation as I did. Well, let's just like get right to it. You have seen every part of me. You have seen the inside of me. Yeah, that's true. I have which is a kind of a vulnerable place to be, but I don't feel any way about it with you.
1: Oh, we've known each other for a little while at this point, so.
0: That's right. You delivered both of my babies. That's why you have seen the inside of me. (laughs) Right,
1: let's clarify. Let's contextualize that (laughs) comment. (laughs) People aren't like, what?
0: You delivered Lucy in 2009. Wow. You delivered Finch in 2011. And uh, Lucy actually had a traumatic, birth experience a hemorrhage blood transfusion like the whole thing and there's no one that i would have wanted to be taking care of me besides no. you i'm i'm glad that you
1: felt safe that is the point that is my job actually
0: but but not, I, under, I know not, <laughs> not, every, not everybody yeah. yeah
1: i know i understand that yes aware
0: And then because that was with my first child, I was really nervous about delivery the second time. Very nervous because that was actually really did a number on me. Mm -hmm. And you were so kind and good with just paying a lot of attention to what was happening when I was delivering Finch. I I didn't feel dismissed in any way. So I've always appreciated that. Thank you.
1: you're, You're so welcome. That's gratifying. I mean, I want... Obviously, my my major goal is for everybody to come out of it safe. But that also means like spiritually, psychologically safe. And I I take it seriously, which I I know that my patients know that that's that's really what the relationship is about.
0: I was surprised, though, reading your book, The Spiritual Element, because we were quite medical. Yeah. I mean,
1: you know, I don't always talk about it with everybody. And I think I gauge where I'm going with that. I'm not also I like (laughs) I wish I had time to chat with you guys like, you know, about everything in life. But that's a really that's an interesting response from somebody who knows me in a very specific way. And you know me well in a specific way. Yeah, we probably did not talk about that because there's so many other things to talk about when you're coming in for specific issues, prenatal care, that's that kind of stuff. But yeah, I take it very seriously, like very seriously.
0: I also didn't seek it out. From you Mm -hmm. at that time. Like, I don't think I would have and maybe not even now, actually, in a medical setting have talked about any like holistic or spiritual or non-Western medicine with
1: my doctor. Yeah. Yeah. It comes up occasionally, comes up more than occasionally, because I think at this point, I do have sort of a reputation for being at a minimum, very open minded. But I think a lot of people know that I have training in, in Ayurveda and holistic medicine. And then I have a long-time practice of meditation and that I do have a very spiritual approach to things. But I'm also like, you know, like I'm super straightforward. I'm like extremely practical. I'm, I think I'm also very well known for like no bullshit. So I gauge where it's where it needs to be floated inserted or not it, it it doesn't we don't have to talk about it and i it, i think that's true i think at that time that just would have been like out of the blue and that would have been making it about me by the way too like <laughs> your encounters with me
0: really should be about you mm. not about me but wait speaking of reputation we are going to talk about menopause but i just have to say <laughs> i have to tell you this story when i delivered lucy like when she exited my body <laughs> And then, you know, Jeff sort of took over and cut the cord and all of that stuff. I had a thing happen that no one had ever told me was going to happen and has not ever happened in my life since. I had like euphoria, like and I started really hysterically laughing, like almost like out of body experience laughing. And you were sewing me up. I'm sure you don't remember this because you've delivered a jillion babies. You were sewing me up and I was crying laughing I was so happy to not be pregnant (laughs) I'm like 30 seconds out and I said to you I'll never forget this because it was so random while you're sewing up my parts I said you know I really loved you on the Tyra Banks show Oh, my God. Because because you had been my doctor the whole nine months. And for whatever reason, I had only Googled you sort of right before birth. Like, I didn't even know that you were doing, like, TV appearances or, you know, that you were like that type of a doctor. Oh, my God. That's so funny. (laughs) And so it just came out of my mouth. In my euphoria, I was like, I just loved you on Tyra Banks.
1: (laughs) If I could tell you, Laura, like, every crazy out of the blue thing that is said after a baby comes out of a person's body. Like that's, that's actually lovely and charming. Do people <laughs> say weird stuff? Well, I mean, having been on the other side of it and delivered, like had two children myself, you know, like I know it, it's, you hit it on the head. It's like, it's a very out of body experience. It's like the weirdest thing, right? Cause it's like, you're fully in your body in the most crazy way. And yet it's also out of body. Like, I think maybe that's just the words we use because we can't even describe what it's like. But if you've had a human come out of your human, it's like no other thing. There are obviously, there's also like a science behind that too, right? There's tons of hormones, oxytocin. You're you're just in an altered state really is a better way to put it. You're in a very altered state. So people say all sorts of funny things to me. <laughs> and it's also, I think, why they say like crazy shit to their partner too. Like, it's not always like in the movies where you're like, You and you know, you did this to me. I mean, people say that too during labor, usually, but people just are transformed, really. And for you, it came out in Tyra (laughs) Bay. That's really funny. I I did not remember that, which is why that laugh was so spontaneous. Because (laughs) I think you looked up from
0: between my legs and was like, like, hey, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you're like, great. Got it. You're doing great. (laughs)
1: The lashes are not on now. (laughs) Do you know that she had a requirement on that set (laughs) that you had everybody had to wear? And this is way before everybody was doing this, right? huge 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 lashes like everybody and it was funny because the first time I was on I was on with it was like a panel of doctors and one of the doctors had these the most beautiful eyelashes naturally and she was like are you sure and I mean I was like cool do me because I don't have eyelashes but this person had like these lush dark black curly perfect eyelashes and they're like it's it's a rule (laughs) you had to everybody had to be very glam what a weird thing it was what it was she just wanted everyone to look beautiful. Super, super extra pretty glam. Huh. Yeah. It was What a world. That was what I was told. I don't want to. If she's got something to say, please. <laughs> All good. I want to hear her perspective. I invite you, Tyra Banks, to discuss. It was a great show. And it was really she was extremely impressive, by the way. And it was really fun.
0: <laughs> well, I loved I loved it. And it felt like a real Hollywood moment for me because I was like, of course, the doctor that's delivering my babies is also on TV. Yeah. But on the down, though, I'd like to point out <laughs> it was
1: yeah. wasn't like I'm one of those people who has like pictures of me and celebrities on the wall or like. No, that's know, why I like, didn't know. I would
0: never. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no. It's
1: like a weird side gig. <laughs>
0: well, it's very funny. I've always wanted to tell you that. OK, so. I want to talk about your new book, which I read and have much to say, many questions to ask. But first, let's just introduce you to the listeners (laughs) beyond being my doctor. Of Like a little bit about your story where you grew up, sort of your medical journey, professional journey and personal life, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I actually I am born and raised in Los Angeles. We exist. My children are actually second generation. It's very (laughs) I'm very proud of that fact. So, yeah, I was born and raised here in L.A., which is, you know, an interesting thing. And my dad's actually a doctor. He's 86. He's still practicing in a very limited way. Wow, yeah, he's amazing! <laughs> he's a psychiatrist, so you know it's all brain work, basically. But it, when you grow up with a doctor in your family, I think there's like this unspoken rule: somebody's going to become a doctor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although apparently not in my house. But anyways, in those days we're Gen X. We do what we're told. So. One of us was going to be a doctor and it turned out my brother was like, maybe going to be a doctor. And then he was like, no, nah, I'm not going to be a doctor. I was like, okay, fine. I'll be the doctor. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> but really, I always had very, been very involved in like helping people. I was really interested in like really the story, to be honest, it's kind of funny. I wasn't so much like a science person. I was really a, like, what's the story? I liked hearing what people were thinking about, talking about. And that was just something that I always, people were always telling me their stuff. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. There must be something in that. And I went to college back east, I went to Wesleyan University, did not major in pre-med because I kept going and saying, hey, what do I need to do to be a pre-med? And they would tell me all the things and I'd say, oh, I don't I don't want to do any of those things. I guess I don't want to go to med school. And then I graduated with a liberal arts degree in you know, 1988, did not want to go into finance in New York City, which is what kind of everybody else was doing, moved to San Francisco and started working. And, you know, with a bachelor of arts in uh, social psychology and a minor in art history, kind of hard to find a job, did find a job in mental health. And I was working in actually in like really hardcore circumstances. I was working with institutionalized children and then adolescents. And I thought, yeah, I, I kept looking at what the doctor was doing. And I said, you're not done with this. And I went back to school, did a post back at Mills College in Oakland, and then went to medical school.
0: Wait, let me stop you, because there's a yeah. part in your book that I think goes to the bigger picture of this, where you mentioned that one of the reasons that you didn't want to take the classes in undergrad or whatever is because you thought you were bad at math.
1: Well, I mean, I definitely did not feel like I was good at math or science. Like I struggled in high school in math. It was so hard for me. I mean, I didn't think I was stupid. I was obviously smart. You know, I was in all like honors stuff and AP and blah, blah. But I just really did not have a mind for that. I did not like it at all. And it was really hard. And I think, you know, I'm going to be 57. Like, there's definitely huge differences in the way that kids were educated and especially boys and girls, like super gendered, really gendered, like amazing. I was talking about this with somebody the other day, even just this. So I'm sure these comments are not on report cards anymore, but like I absolutely consistently all through elementary school had comments, talks too much, talks too much, talks too much. That message to a smart girl, "Mm, shut up, Mm -hmm. stop it. So some of it was also just being like oppressed by society and culture. Mm -hmm. Like it was weird. On the one hand, I was always getting, you know, the pat on the back and the pat on the head for being a smarty pants and for doing really well in school. But then on the other side, it was like, just tone it down a little bit, you know, don't. Don't scare people so much with how smart you are. Like, even in college, and I have many fond feelings and a lot of gratitude toward the type of education I got specifically at the college I went to. Very interested in critical thinking, very much encouraged creativity. So, even then, I was like combining stuff and like interested in how culture and art were filtered through a specific human. I wrote my thesis on that. And um, I had specific professors who were very, very supportive. But then when I would go and ask questions about like my life, I can't tell you this for a fact, but I do feel that my being a girl who was artsy, that was like hard science. Professors were like, yeah, that's a hard pass. You're not going to medical school. Like I got zero support for it from the science people because you had to do, you know, pre-med was like a lot of science. And when I finally decided, like, no, I'm going to try this because if I don't, I'm going to regret it. I need to find out. I was at Mills College, which was a women's college. Actually, my mother's alma mater. It was mind blowing because the only male students there, there were a small a handful of male graduate students. But the student body was all women and I was killing it. I was crushing it. I loved it. And I ended up becoming a chemistry TA. I got a chemistry fellowship that helped me pay for this. And I was a chemistry TA. What? Just because I was in an environment where it was like me being smart and loud was totally cool. (laughs) Like not an issue at all.
0: That's so fascinating to me. Do you think there was also an element to it of a developmental, not delay, but like that some people learn math and science, like it doesn't click for them till later. I think
1: that's entirely possible. It's very interesting. When I was thinking about us having this conversation today, I was thinking about how I've always thought of myself as a late bloomer. And I think that 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 has some connotations, which I also decided this morning, like, whatever, though, I don't need to own those connotations. I'm in a big moment. And we will talk about this because it's very 50s, very menopausal of like, yeah, your narrative's cool. That's not my narrative. Like, I get to write my own narrative, which is actually what I have always done. Always, since I was a little girl, I was sort of like, okay, you guys want me to be this way and I'm going to like pretend to be that way, but I'm actually going to be over here doing my thing. Mm -hmm. Like I did have a core of like, no, I believe in myself, but I also recognize like everybody else may not really appreciate that. So let me make waves when necessary and let me also just go do my thing and be like, maintain my peace. I'm, I'm seeing my own story even now very differently. Rather than like oh, I was denied blah, blah and a victim of mama ma like oh come on I mean for me personally I am you're looking at me okay please I'm I am a Jew from Beverly Hills like there are some there are some things about that but lack of privilege was not part of my story that's not true so kind of did it at my own pace and I think you may be right I don't think it was just that I got encouraged I think it was just like my brain maybe clicked into some other gear. Mm-hmm. But I do think coming into a classroom and not feeling anxious or judged helped a lot. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't wasting energy on that. I was just like, let me see if I can do this work.
0: Or not being put into a box of, yeah. oh, you're the artsy one. You can't right. be a, also a, a doctor. I was a writer. I was like an expressive writer. And I mean, hello, I still am. <laughs> it turns yeah. out. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah. I struggle with that with my kids of not putting them in a box of Lucy's the sporty one. Finch is the academic one. I mean, they do have strengths in those areas. And I think I just default to pushing them in those areas of strength instead of letting them feel totally free to I don't I don't keep them from exploring. But I also can see that I have to fight like not putting them into like a stereotypical box.
1: Yeah, but I think that's always a struggle as a parent because you're you have your own perspective, which is cultural. It's what your own family was like, what you liked, what you didn't like. And, and then honestly, just as a parent, it's, it's a lot, right? It's a lot to do. And I think we do default sometimes to some stereotypical stuff because it's just easier. Mm -hmm. We're not doing it on purpose. It's not even conscious. And that's kind of the amazing journey of parenting. You know, I mean, my kids are now 22 and 25 and like, I have had to do a lot of work on myself, to be able to hold and maintain boundaries with them about certain things, especially now as they're like trying to become independent young adults out there. And also I need them to become independent young adults. Like really, like I need it for me too. Mm-hmm.
0: Were you, when did you get pregnant?
1: I got pregnant in the beginning, like really, let's see, Jaron was born the beginning of my second year of residency. So Very early in my internship, I mean, it was a planned pregnancy, so I was a little bit older, which of course, haha, at the time, like I was like, oh my god, I'm (laughs) thirty, I better get pregnant, which I'm glad I did. But I was pregnant during my whole residency because I was pregnant, and then had my son, and then I was like, that was traumatizing. (laughs) Let's like not do that again. And then, but I knew I wanted another child, and I got pregnant toward the end of residency, and I delivered my daughter. Like maybe three months after I graduated. And I will say that I have no regrets, but it was brutal. Brutal. Not not really a pregnant friendly work environment.
0: <laughs> but were you already a little toxic? Even though you were going towards being an OB? I was an OBGYN resident. And they were like unsupportive of you. Yeah, not supportive. It's medicine.
1: Oh, you know, if anybody ever wonders why their doctors are the way they are, I mean, just look at medical training. It's really rough. It's way better than it used to be. It's so much more human so much more humane. There's a lot of work rule restrictions. Like you can only work so many hours in a row. None of that applied when I was in training and I was in a more humanitarian sort of family friendly environment. And I chose it for that reason because of the way they structured their call system and stuff like that. But it was, it was hard. And the expectation was like, okay, your personal decision was you decided to get pregnant. That's on you. Like go, fine, but you still need to perform. And then I think the other part of that was that I felt a pressure that I needed to prove like, okay, yeah, I'm pregnant, but I'm still like really committed and I'm an awesome doctor and all this stuff. It's just, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. That was hard. Yeah. I, I know. I don't, I didn't get a lot of slack cut
0: With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. and use code y Y-O-U. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across two dots and I wanna tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over five thousand distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook, as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. You're looking for the perfect game to help you relax, but also keep you engaged. Download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. So you have little kids in Los Angeles. You're a doctor. I imagine there's a million things you could say about that. Yeah, yeah. But when did you start to get interested in? This menopause or just like the hormonal changes. Like what was how did that come about? You
1: know, it was it was really driven by the patients, honestly, because what was happening was that frequently early in practice, your patients kind of reflect you, especially in a private practice, like people are coming to you who are around the same age. And my practice was very heavily obstetrics and people wanting to get pregnant. But obviously, I always had patients of all ages. And I had women who were older than me and really moving through that period of time. And I really I recognized that I didn't have excellent training in that. And that's demonstrated. I mean, there's you know, in medicine, we love to study even ourselves. There are lots of studies demonstrating that people come out of OBGYN residency training. So we're, we focused for four years after medical school on women's health, and we don't feel confident about dealing with a lot of the normal life transitions, specifically menopause. And that's because you have four years to learn how to take care of a patient while they're pregnant, make sure, you know, the pregnancy ends safely, uh, surgeries, you know, all sort. there's a lot of other more acute pressing, obvious needs. And sometimes the physiologic normal stuff falls by the wayside and then you come out into practice. And if you're a generalist, like I am you know, you're in the office all day doing pap smears and dealing with vaginal infections and things like menopause. And it's like, oh my God, what do I do? So I just educated myself. I started looking at training opportunities. There are specialty organizations that I went to, to learn more and train. And I learned from my patients a lot. I got really interested in integrative and holistic medicine during that time. And actually initially I dove into that. And I think as my patients were aging and I was more creatively trying to address their needs and understanding it from that perspective that I just gave you, which is like, this is not a disease.
0: OK, yes. This is one of my favorite parts of your book, actually, yeah. is that how you talk about how normal it is and yeah. how other cultures, you know, non-Western medical cultures treat this differently like it's normal. Right. Right. And here we like fight against it. There's panic. There's secrecy around it. There's like all of these ways of hiding, which I mean, the surface level of that is that Americans are so scared to age. Right, right. Well, I think I think humanity is has a lot of
1: fear of aging. It means death. But traditional cultures have had ways to address that, you know, whether it's ritual, whether it's community. I mean, when there's a maintenance of community and you're having regular contact with people of all different age groups, and you're seeing just direct observation of what people's experiences are, and then also having the benefit of their wisdom, it's a different experience. You're less fearful. I mean, we're fearful, understandably, of things that we don't understand, like what if we don't know what's happening, that's scary. Well, and then we don't want to approach it. I mean, that's sort of, I think the, the high level view, I think there's also just like a very specific American cultural capitalistic idea about what is valued and like monetizing literally everything, including ourselves. And we don't necessarily realize we're doing it. And I think part of what happens as you get to a certain point in your life is that you There's a fork in the road, Laura. You can decide. I buy the story. I'm invisible now. I'm not important. Youth and beauty are what we are obsessed with. I'm not youthful. Therefore, I'm not beautiful. Therefore, I don't have value. Therefore, I don't exist. Or you can say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've been here a long time. I actually have learned quite a bit and I have a lot to offer. And I'm here and available to you if you would like to hear about it. Otherwise, I'll be over here doing my thing, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, starting to shift quite a bit quite a bit
0: well i think the reason that we don't know about it isn't because there's not stuff to know although i understand that you're saying it, menopause and <clears throat> these hormonal changes haven't been studied mm. at mm-hmm. the rate right that they should have been mm-hmm. frankly but there's also there's, oh, there's that too <laughs> yeah there's the cultural element of like that women don't share what's happening with them like they don't talk about it which is like a huge part of this
1: I don't think they're not sharing about it because there there's been shame and like you said I mean look we live in LA I'm not saying this doesn't happen anywhere else but there's just something like very special about how it goes down here and there's a very distinct impression that you are supposed to continue to look a certain way behave a certain way you know, that kind of thing. And so if you no longer look that way, you're admitting that you're old and old is bad. I mean, I'm just like, I'm just not buying it. It, Look, it's easier for me. I am not an actor. Okay. My value literally like what I'm contributing to society, whatever is based on something completely different. And I'm very aware of the fact that it's easier for me in some ways to detach from that and say, like, no, actually, I'm a physician, I'm a healer, I'm a teacher, and my wisdom only grows and expands, and I want to share that. If I have set myself up to be valued for the way I look, then that's going to be a problem, because the way I look is going to change. But I, it, I look great, but, you know, I don't look the way I looked when I was
0: 40, even, right? Well, you do look great, but you also write in the book, even as a normal person, meaning not like a public facing actor or whatever, who is monetizing their appearance, you still write about how letting your hair go gray, people had reactions. Oh my God.
1: People really had a lot to say about it. It was really (laughs) funny. It was funny. I was like, you know, I'm 53. Like I know these things. It was, it was funny. I really think people were worried. (laughs) You know, now it's like, it's so interesting because I started, I stopped coloring my hair and maybe like 2017 2018 and now it's like of course a thing right so everybody's like oh your hair (laughs) but when I decided to do it people were like genuinely concerned they like were giving you know you could do this or you could do that or you could go blonde (laughs) or I was like "Mm -hmm, I know all of those things actually (laughs) I'm really I'm I'm okay I think people were like making like a mental health check is she all right (laughs) really yeah yeah I'm not making that up no I mean, really, it was really funny. I mean, at the time it was like now it's funny and also like a little sad, to be honest, because a lot of the comments were coming from women who are older than me. And I talk about this in the book. I think I think it was just challenging to them. Like, wait a second. She's clearly younger than me and she's gray. So that what does that say about me? You know, and it was like these are people who were very committed to their look, which is fine. I don't, my look has nothing to do with your look. Like I'm not making a statement about your look. I'm just saying, I don't want to color my hair anymore. It's a pain in the ass. Like literally that was all I was saying. I wasn't actually trying to make a political statement. I mean, now in retrospect, I'm like, sure, let's embrace it as a political statement. But at the time I really just was like, I don't want to spend the time and the money anymore to deal with my hair. And worst case scenario is I don't like it and I can color it again, which I'll never do. But at the time, I didn't know that. And uh, I really wasn't trying to challenge anybody. It was just funny to me. I'm like, it's so interesting to me that you coming to the gynecologist, you're feeling
0: some kind of way about your gynecologist, like not coloring her hair. Wow. (laughs) Okay. No, I know. And I actually said to a friend who was going prematurely gray, she was like maybe 30 and she was going gray. This was like probably 10 years ago, but she wanted, she was like thinking about just letting it be, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was like. Why would you do
1: that? Well, but I I did go gray very young. That's why I started coloring my hair. I mean, what was going on was that I started getting like this salt and peppery and it was not cute. It wasn't like it didn't come in the way it did now. It was just like everywhere. And I had little kids, like little kids, like preschool kids. And I was like, this is not working for me. I do not enjoy this look. And that's when I started coloring my hair. So
0: I get it. I get it, and I, here's the thing: you get to choose how you look. I know we all we're bringing our own stuff to. Of course, we are every conversation yes. like that. Of course, of course yeah. we are, of
1: course we are. So, but I did I did realize when I had like comment after comment after comment, I
0: was like, okay, there's something I, tapping into something here. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But it's part of this whole conversation about aging, which yes. for women, a part of aging is going to be menopause. Yeah, it's funny. I'm 43, and I feel like everyone around me. <laughs> Is suddenly talking about paramenopause. Yeah. yeah. Is that the right word? And yeah. you say in the book, can we please ban this phrase? Yeah, I know. You know, sometimes I get a little hot
1: under the collar about things. I mean, here's my thing with that that phrase. I I think initially people started using it as a way to validate and recognize a transition. Because here's the thing about so let's just get out get it out of the way. Let's define menopause. This is where people get so uh tripped up and confused and they're like don't know what it is, even. So let's just the term menopause is 12. It's really one day. You have had 12 consecutive months without a menstrual bleed at the age of 45 or above for no other medical reason. So if you had chemo or you had a hysterectomy, or you may, let's make sure you don't have any other medical issue that may be interrupting your cycle, certainly younger than that um, is not considered average. And it's actually under 40 and under is not normal at all. Between 40 and 45, we call it early menopause. Perimenopause is this fuffy non-medical term but i think because people started noticing which is probably what you're about to talk about changes in their cycle changes in the way they felt changes in their body and they were not getting they were not getting any validation for that they were getting like you're fine you're fine oh i checked your labs you're fine there's nothing wrong it's like well, that's not what you came in and saying you came in saying i don't feel right can you help me understand what's happening so i think taking the term perimenopause which it's a term that we use But it's ill-defined and it's not a medical term per se. It's not a diagnosis, right? It's a transition from not, you know, from having very regular reproductive cycles. I mean, reproductive, I use loosely. Obviously, not everybody's trying to reproduce, but you could reproduce should you choose, right? So reproductive normal cycles where you're ovulating and there's a fairly predictable pattern there. It starts to get a little wonky. It changes whether you're not ovulating at the same time, whether your symptoms have changed. A lot of what we hear is the cycle itself changes. So maybe the intervals are closer. People bleed heavier. They're skipping their periods a little bit. And I'll tell you the big one that I really hear is mood stuff, anxiety and panic out of the blue. Never had anxiety before. PMS that is like craziness. Like Maybe you never really had PMS or you had two or three days and now you are so dark. Or you're like ready to blow up your life for 10 days in the month. This is this. And this made people feel terrible. And then they would come in and say, this is going on. And here, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Well, taking that word, claiming that word, I think it was, has been powerful. My concern now and why I'm like, I want to banish it is that I think now it's turned into a little bit of it's been weaponized a little bit. And it's turned into like this whole, it's a diagnosis. It's a problem. It needs to be fixed. Balance your hormones. Mm. I mean, I see it a little differently. Balance your hormones. That's if you really want to make me crazy, like that's the term.
0: Wait, it's possible I might have said that to you. Everybody says it to me. (laughs) Everybody says it to me. Well, the other thing I did, the stereotypical thing I did with you also mentioned- I'm a gynecologist. It's okay to say that to me. me I know, <laughs> but you say in the book, a few things that like you hear that your patients come in and say, and I was like, oh yeah, check, check, check. One of them is I need to get my thyroid checked. There's something wrong with my thyroid. Well,
1: sometimes there is something wrong with your thyroid. I mean, we wish everything was our thyroid because then that would be fixable and then it would all be great. But most of the time it is not your thyroid. So although women in this age group have much higher rates of thyroid dysfunction. And I do think there's some subtlety there that needs to be addressed because we have in laboratory testing, we have these reference ranges, which that's a whole other podcast and a story about what are actual reference ranges, where do they come from? But those numbers are really like the reference range is too wide, Laura, Mm -hmm. truly people are going to feel much better with a a narrower range of thyroid function. And I do think that people who haven't really looked deeply into this, gotten themselves trained, kept up, would say maybe your thyroid is 4.2, your TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. And that's technically normal. No, it's not. No one is going to feel good on that. But is getting you on thyroid supplementation going to fix all of your problems? Probably not also. (laughs) So, you know.
0: Well, so let's talk about that. Women who are, and this is a lot of my audience is around my age, yeah. so early 40s, they're not in full menopause yet, right. but they no. are having these changes. Yes, yes. And maybe they've gone to their doctor and asked for tests. Everything is quote unquote normal or within a normal range. What are we supposed to do if we're normal, right. but we don't feel normal? Yeah.
1: Well, I think, you know, it's really interesting to me. Well, okay, so first and foremost, you need to find somebody who is really willing to partner with you on this. A doctor, you mean? Yes, yes. I mean, there are non-MDs out there that I think are really great at what they do. I do think that there is a whole world out there of people who are practicing in a very predatory way, including MDs, and they're profiting off of the desperation and the concern and also the lack of conversation that's occurring. That lack of conversation is complicated. As I mentioned, some of it is a lot of my colleagues and myself really didn't get enough training. And so, you know, what you don't know about, you don't want to talk about. That's number one. Number two, many of us are working in a, a medical system that doesn't give us the time And the freedom to really have a full conversation with you like I can't see all the patients on my schedule and pay for what I need to pay for in my office. If I'm spending 35 minutes with you, like I got three minutes, so Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of time. And that's why people kind of go to write a script by, you know, so I'd like to have some compassion for for the the situation that we find ourselves in. And not everybody's privileged enough to be able to have cash money to pay for an expensive doc, but there are docs that focus on this. There are docs, and there are, I think, other professionals, nurse practitioners, non-traditional medical folks who really have focused in on this and will spend more time and have a conversation with you. But I'm gonna tell you something. The most powerful phrase that I learned in medicine and that I deploy is, I don't know, let's try to figure it out. I have found so many times that somebody comes in with a list of concerns and complaints. And I just take the two minutes because this is what I do. And I do have confidence in this area. And I go through it and I say, I have an explanation for why I think this may be occurring. I think you're ovulating later in the cycle than you used to. I think your ovaries are not making as much progesterone as they used to. And these are the things that you may feel. And that, and, as, and they actually don't even want to do anything about it. They're like, oh. Now I understand my PMS is now seven days. And if I can make sure that I'm doing more self-care on those days or tell my family, please back off and give me a break, or I'm plugging in my sleep hygiene in a real way, then I can take care of this myself. And I will come back to you when and if I need more, or here's some supplements that may assist you, or maybe you need hormones, you know? A lot of times it's really just validating that this is existing and that I'm willing to create a partnership with you and move forward because it's not going to be a one and done. It's not going to be like, I test your lab, I call you, I give you the vitamin D and bye, see you next year. Like That's the other thing is you guys have to be willing to be accountable and be a partner in that. I don't find that to be the big issue in your age group. I think y'all have more of a sense of agency or want to have a sense of agency over your body. And that's a big difference. That's a really big difference. It actually is driving the conversation into groups of people who are younger. You know, we were talking before about a lot of people were like, oh yeah, no, your audience is going to be this and this and not that. And that." And I was like, "Mm, you'll see, because I think that people your age and even younger have a very different expectation. And the expectation is like, this is my body. I know certain things. I want to know how to be in my body in a healthy way over the long term. And I want to work with somebody who's going to do that with me. And sometimes all it takes is acknowledging that. Mm -hmm. I don't have to have the solution.
0: Mm -hmm. And there is a lot more information available to everybody right now than previous generations. Now, I know that that's like a plus and a minus. Right. That's definitely a plus and a minus. Yeah. But I would feel like a lot of the women I follow or people who are talking about this, they are talking about it in a holistic way. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. they're employing all kinds of things that are, you know, medical or spiritual or whatever to to feel better about this stage. Yeah. So that's a benefit. It's huge because a lot of those
1: things, again, that's being driven by the person experiencing what they're experiencing. And again, I'm going to come back to it again and again and again. This is not a disease. And, and honestly, even when you do have a disease, I think that there needs to be room for a conversation between the person who's experiencing the disease or the trauma or whatever it is and the person who is assisting them. This is not, I mean, this is a big, big, big shift, right? This is a big shift from, in our society, from like a top-down authoritarian, authoritative approach because you find that in medicine, you find it. You find the patriarchal system. I was trained. It's very military. I mean, we use military time, okay? Nothing against the military, but like that says something. Like we, are it is very top down. It is very like chain chain of command. We use all the same terminology, by the way, mm. all the same terminology for a reason. Because if you're trying to help people not die, you do have to do that. And when you're in a high risk unit like the ICU or labor and delivery, you have to do that. Every single you don't want Swiss cheese holes lining up and stuff coming through that. OK, menopause is not that <laughs> like, whoa, like when we take uh, one approach and apply it across all you know areas that what that doesn't make sense. So we have to whew, stop, take a breath, all of us and say, OK, what is going on? How do I feel? What do I need? Where do I get support? I mean, that's why I read the book. Mm hmm because there was no way to do that in a 5 minute encounter and also I learned so much over the decades about what worked for me what worked in my practice what worked for me as a doctor and a patient what what was resonating with people I worked with as patients colleagues and what I was learning from from other traditions that were wisdom traditions that had you know thousands and thousands of years to draw from that's not to say that in the operating room we need to be regimented and we need to be like really on point. When I'm in the operating room, it's a different story. I'm not like having an oming out moment and like <laughs> century. I mean, you know, it's probably okay to center before you start the case, but like then you're, you know, paying attention to where the bleeding is coming from. Right. It's very different. <laughs>
0: I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes just like I did in my Born Sandals last summer. Born shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in born shoes. Every season they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to BornShoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's Born B-O-R-N Shoes S-H-O-E-S.com and use promo code TELL T-E-L-L for 15% off and free shipping. Available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Well, so now what are we supposed to pay attention to us non-doctors? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. When we, what am I looking at next? So I have also started to yes. notice some changes. My cycle started to change, but it also coincided with the pandemic. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I don't know if a stress is right. this a complete lifestyle change. Because now my, my lifestyle has a hundred percent shifted in yeah. a year of lockdown. I couldn't tell what was natural early forties hormonal changes And also external changes in my life. But now I'm a couple years down the road from that. So I have noticed things have changed. But what's ahead for me next? Like, what do you want me to be better knowledgeable about than other people have
1: been? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think the first thing is, sure, there are some predictable things that are... (laughs) The biggest predictable thing is that it becomes unpredictable. So whatever it is that you were attached to specifically around your cycle, it's going to change. It's, it's just going to change. And I think just knowing that that's going to happen and knowing that there's a place for you to go to ask questions, because I don't think, here's the thing. I just told you and reminded you, you are the you know boss of your own body and also you are the expert in your own body, but that doesn't mean that a shift or a change isn't going to be alarming or uncomfortable. And so I, I know I'm being kind of vague, but what I tell people is if you are getting, if something's going on, that's disruptive and concerning to you then it is time to address it and that just means come in and say hey these are the my period was always 28 days on the nose i could tell when i was ovulating and i had four days of bleeding and three days of pms and now it's xyz and is that oh is that normal is that not normal and then we can have a conversation because everybody's change is not going to be exactly the same. having said that there are some things that are a lot more common so we sort of touched on them right the interval between your periods. So when a gynecologist talks about the menstrual cycle, they're talking about the whole thing, not just the bleeding part. And we're not even talking about people who are using birth control methods that are going to alter their bleeding because that that also can be confusing for people, right? But typically the cycles will get closer together. They'll have more bleeding, heavier bleeding. And some people have crazy bleeding. Mm-hmm. Like crime scene bleeding. Like, yes, I hear this a lot. I, or every week I hear another terrible, like like, my friend soaked through on the airplane seat, you know, like, Oh, like middle school, kind of not on top of it yet. Super embarrassing. You know, just, Oh, you know, I was on a white couch at a dinner party, you know, Really are we
0: supposed to treat those things? Or like when them... you're having
1: that going on and it's it's not controllable, yeah, you need to come in. Because even though it is fairly common, common doesn't mean you have to tolerate it. And if you are to bleed like that for a long period of time, first of all, you're gonna get anemic. You know, you're gonna lack iron and there's gonna there's downstream consequences health-wise, cardiovascular, but also like fatigue, energy which is another thing we're going to get into. So that's going to contribute to that. And also like now you're losing days. There's like, you cannot do what you need to do, but there might be an anatomic change. Okay. So when people, we'll just talk about bleeding right now. When people have a big change in their bleeding, in particular, heavier bleeding, there's generally two reasons that's happening. One is hormonal shifts, which sure they may be normal, but just because it's normal or common doesn't mean it's okay. All right. And there can be anatomic changes, which frequently are fed by hormones, polyps, fibroids, benign growths in your uterus that might be causing the bleeding. And you, you can do any amount of meditating and supplements, and it's not going to fix that. And you could really get yourself into a health problem. So it is important to see your physician because you want to assess for those things. And some of those fixes, the anatomic things, a lot of times that's going to require a minor outpatient surgery to remove that tissue and restore your balance, so to speak, and your health. Hormonally speaking, it's just the shift in the cycle and the way the ovaries are functioning. And so I think everybody sort of knows estrogen starts to decline, but so does progesterone. Progesterone dominates the second half of our cycle after we ovulate and it's made in the ovary and it sort of balances out the kind of pro growth of estrogen that's fluffing up and growing the lining of your uterus. Progesterone gets that stabilized in case you were to get pregnant. And then when you don't get pregnant, it all declines and you shed the lining of your uterus in a much more regular way. When you're not making as much progesterone, you're also going to have a difference in the sort of ratios of estrogen and progesterone, and you're going to favor that heavy growth and less of that sort of balancing act that we do need in the second half so that we're not just bleeding, 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 bleeding. So these are a couple of ways that we might intervene. And there are, there are supplements that you can use to help with that. And there's just hormones you can use. And I, let me just say this too. You know, there's a lot of conversation out there right now about like birth control pills and how overused they are. And these are all just tools. I think if we can reframe as like things are not good or evil, generally speaking, these are tools in the toolkit. How we use them is up to us again in conversation. Birth control pills being prescribed to absolutely everybody for absolutely everything without an explanation of why. Why? not in favor of. But if you come in and honestly, the low hanging fruit for you is to go on the birth control pill to control your bleeding and your moods. And you've been on the pill before, and you like the idea of just taking something every day and that works for you. Why would you not do that? Like just because TikTok told you birth control pills are horrible and evil. I mean, it is a way more nuanced conversation. So again, in order to understand what the tools available to help you with problematic symptoms are you going to have to have a conversation with someone knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm just talking about bleeding. I mean, we could go on for 10 hours. Some, this is again why it's 300 pages. The book came out of an event that I called Menopause Bootcamp, which still exists. Again, I couldn't do this in 5 minutes or even 20 minutes. I knew people were lacking the basic information, the knowledge. What are the definitions? What is happening to me? What can I expect? What can I do to prepare? And then here are the issues I'm having. What are some potential solutions for me? And then we do a fitness routine that is aimed at kind of optimizing aging, things like core strength, flexibility. You know, you want to be in your 40s, strong, flexible, working on your bone strength, maintaining that so that when you're 70, you don't have a slip and fall and break your hip. Like there are you know there there are things we can be doing now, understanding that everybody gets very obsessed with hormones, understandably, but the number one killer of women is heart disease at forty three you can and should be working on your heart health. not just your diet and your lifestyle and your exercise and your sleep, which are the most obvious things, but like, make sure you understand your family history, make sure you're working with a primary care physician who knows, did you have high blood pressure or gestational diabetes during your pregnancy? Cause that's setting you up for increased risk as you get older. You know, these are, these are powerful tools for us to advocate for ourselves I mean, if you want to like, these are the things that I really want people to know if they want to be preparing at 43 for what they want to be at 53, 63, 83, these are the things like, sure, we can get into the weeds about your PMS and how we can manage that, which we, by the way, can, and why is anxiety and panic coming out of the blue? What happened to my sex life? You know what? My vagina is different. Well, I could go, right. This is why there's a whole book. But really, the big picture items I think people don't know are those things. Dementia, Alzheimer's, two to three times higher in women than men as we age. Not to scare you, but to know. Exercise is helpful. Using your brain is helpful. Again, understanding your family history is helpful. Hormones, we're not sure. We think that it may decrease risk as you get into menopause. I can't sell it i talk to it about my patients every day there are people online colleagues of mine who get mad because i'm saying it's a it's it's fixing dementia i didn't say that i said our risk is higher and hormones may play a role and so that should be on the menu mm-hmm. that's what i say we need to think about things
0: wait so i'm like snagging in my mind i, know about... I just like downloaded so much. <laughs> but <laughs> i i am thinking about like I think I'm in such a phase of like my kids are teens and preteens. I mean, I am driving carpool. I am trying to juggle a career and a husband with a non-traditional career. So we just have like a lot buzzing all the time. Yeah, And I do a lot of work about and talk about on this show, meditation and being centered and being present and all of those things. Yeah. That's important. Except... What I snagged on was when you said at 43, like, how do you want to feel at 53? And I did realize that I, I don't think like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not forward thinking. Yeah. yeah. And I, in some ways, I try to spin that as a positive.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and in other ways, I'm thinking, oh, maybe I should. Yeah,
1: but hang on. You putting practices into place today that are healthful is going to have an impact at 53. And actually, I'm really glad you brought up mindfulness, present moment awareness, meditation, whatever is feeling comfortable for us, because they're all kind of the same. Just so you know, there is a treasure trove of scientific data demonstrating why that doesn't just feel good, but it actually is good for you. Like tons, like I, there is a a doctor named Herbert Benson. I have been a fangirl of this guy for ever since I started studying integrative medicine. He did the original studies at Harvard university in the early seventies demonstrating, because what was going on at the time is that like Timothy Leary was off over there, like, you know, dropping acid and dropping out and all that stuff, dropping in, dropping out. And everybody started getting really interested in Eastern tradition. You know, the Maharishi had come over, the Beatles were involved And right, so Harvard took hold of this guy, Dr. Benson, God bless him. I think he's still alive, actually. If you're out there, I'd love to meet you. Um, He did these studies with graduate students. They had them do meditation and they measured their heart rate, their blood pressure, uh, oxygen consumption. There's been many, many, many studies since then looking at brainwaves and all sorts of things. And basically, it's very, very healthy. Let me just say this. It brings down your blood pressure. It increases oxygen consumption. It's just good for you. It's good for you. Mm -hmm. So actually doing that is not only making your daily life better and you're able to plug in and be available to yourself and to the people that you care about in a way that is totally different than you're like constantly, you know, doing the right, like, you know, making the list with the list with the list. It's allowing you to be in your
0: life where you are, but it is actually setting you up for health. So don't, don't discount that. Well, no, I'm, I'm, very into that practice and like, that's good. But I am, you know, I'm sort of maybe thinking I might take a zoom out of thoughts sometimes, <laughs> you know, the other thing that you said that has made made a huge difference in my life that I would have rolled my eyes so hard on this before is core strength.
1: Yeah. 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 So
0: after my, I delivered my babies, yeah. I had a lot of issues. I had had the thing happen with Lucy's delivery. Finch came two years later, so I was, you know, pregnant or just post-pregnant for, you know, like a three-year period. And I had a lot. uh, I started to have pain. This was my mid-30s. I started to have pain, incontinence, just a lot of, like, weird issues. And I started going to Pilates. I've talked about this on the show a million times. I started going to Pilates. Uh, Obviously, a a big principle in Pilates is to build up your core strength. I was doing it for pelvic floor reasons because I was having so many issues. But the... Benefits in all other ways, I was shocked by.
1: Yeah, I think a good um, pelvic floor and a good Pilates instructor is just like worth their weight in gold. I actually do sort of a variation on that called gyrotonics. I have like, which is similar, but it's a lot of rotation. And I really credit it with my capacity to continue to do the work I do. I mean, I've been like twisted in a knot on and off for like 26 years, right? Like either at the operating room table or when I was attending births and I, I, whatever, we all have our injuries. And that has been one of the biggest things that I've done for myself. And like really, really so important to be aware. Cause the other thing is, I'm sure you learned with the pelvic floor stuff is that we don't even have an awareness of that part of our body. And it's very hard to identify that in, a, in order to, I mean, it, this is hard on a podcast, right? But if you can imagine me holding my fingers together, woven together, like a little basket, like the pelvic floor is this sling of muscles is essentially holding up, you know, your entire body. And it is part of the core. The core is not just, you know, like a six pack, which I will in a million years never have. <laughs> right. Not my, I'm like, what to do list It's just <laughs> not going to happen. It is that, but it's also that pelvic floor. And I think especially people who experience pregnancy and birth, like just really need to have some awareness of that. So a great Pilates instructor is just amazing. And it's so great that you were able to heal
0: yourself that way. Well, I also had some medical intervention. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) But the pelvic floor thing is really, really huge. And I feel like women don't talk about it until something goes wrong. Right. Right. Like, you right. know, I came to you and I was like, I can't, I can't tell you what's happening down right. there, but something yeah. isn't right. 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 Physically, right. I could feel it when I put a tampon in, I could ever. I was like, something
1: right. has shifted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't get through a pregnancy without something shifting, but I think the thing is that we come in often, like really not understanding our bodies very well, other than like having a goal of like, I'm trying to get a baby in there. Right. I, I do feel like that's I feel like that's probably changing. I just, again, I feel like younger people have like a different sense of an experience in their body or a different expectation of being knowledgeable. So that's what I'm observing and I see with my own kids. Yeah, often we come into pregnancy with like no idea and then we come out like feeling like we just got hit by a Mack truck because we have no idea what just happened and how to deal with it. And then, of course, you know, you're responsible for keeping another human alive. So it's a little like, you, you know, we have to prioritize. Mm-hmm. but. I think your experience in your 40s is, is pretty. I think your experience, everything you're explaining to me, is pretty typical, which is why everybody's like resonating with what you're talking about because mm-hmm. we have that experience. And here's the other reason why podcasts, books, communities, you know, are so important. And by the way, I learned this lesson really, really like so in such an interesting way when I was doing the boot camps. We think people are coming for the podcast, for the information. I thought people were coming to Menopause Bootcamp for the information. They were, but they left. We all left with that sense of community. When we have these conversations, we're restoring what humans really want and need and had. When When I talk about, and this brings it back to kind of early in the conversation, like when we look at more traditional cultures and how a tribe sticks together or a community sticks together or There are multi-generational experiences over a a lifetime. What we lose when we lose that is connection, not just knowledge, but connection. Mm -hmm. So I think these are all ways to reestablish that because the other thing that happens here is like we're sharing information and we also are not feeling isolated.
0: Yes. Like we feel like we're not the only one.
1: Totally. Because we're not the only one. Of
0: course we're not. And also the patient you described earlier who's like, oh, this is what that is? Okay, okay. I, I can keep on keeping on when we don't talk about these things that are starting to worry us secretly. It like builds up and builds up, yeah. you know, but when you just say it and then you have a professional or even a friend be like, oh, I feel like that's normal. Yeah. Then you can relax and be like, oh, OK, this is normal.
1: Well, that's why talking about it. And I think when we talk about midlife, aging, menopause, I I say all the time, like people ask me, why do you think people don't want to talk about menopause? And I say, you know, it's like sexism and ageism had a baby and called it menopause. You know, it's like, it's not a cute combo. So when we just start to own that word, own the term, own the time of our life, look forward and say like, okay, there's going to be changes. Some of it really may not be fun and it might be challenging, but actually there's something really good coming on the other side, self-awareness, confidence, whatever it is, creativity, a rebirth of creativity in a totally different way. We de-stigmatize and we normalize that word. And I do think saying that word, just like any other word, it just becomes like a word, not like... (gasps) you know, a gasp inducing concept or accusation or, you know, an embarrassment. And I'm seeing that so rapidly change right now. It is really wild to me. Like, it's really interesting. It's because celebrities are out there talking about it and they're like, I'm 57 and blah, blah. Well,
0: because celebrities, I think with internet culture are staying active or in the forefront Older.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: used to once, you know, late yep. 40s, the celebrities sort of faded away. Yeah, Well, they weren't getting jobs. They weren't getting work. Right. And there was no way for them to have like a platform, a microphone. Exactly. And now they do yeah. still, which yeah. is like such a benefit. Yeah. I will say when I hear the word menopause, it feels unsexy in yeah. the literal sense of the word. Like I'm like, does that mean no more sex? <laughs> is that what that... I know that's not what it means, but like... Yeah. I do just want to touch... For a 100% second on, I do. on the yes, sexual yes. changes yeah. here. Because
1: I understand why that would be concerning and scary to people. And I'm here to say this. Are there changes? Yeah. Like you just talked about the changes to your body after having babies. Like your body changes. That's a consequence of being alive. But that doesn't mean that you have to abandon ship. You know what I mean? So here's the thing, two things. This is a very interesting, the more I talk about this stuff, like the more it's like the layers of the onion, right? Like sometimes I don't even know what I'm going to talk about. What am I going to say this time about sex? So there's a couple of things that's coming up for me right now. One is the obvious, like, please don't think that if sex is an important part of your life, that it's going to go away and there's nothing you can do. That is a hundred percent not true. So let's just start with that. As, as hormones change, first of all, estrogen receptors are found in your entire body, your brain, your blood vessels. Yes, your vagina. So estrogen declining changes the tissue, but there are things we can do to help that tissue be maintained or to improve. Everything from localized hormone therapy to products to procedures. So in our office, we actually do, we have energy-based devices that can help remodel the tissue with really minimal discomfort. And they're I think they're very effective. The data is not super robust, but I we see it all the time. And the, the studies that are out there that are smaller, these are FDA approved devices. They come from the cosmetic world. So we know they work. We just are applying them in a different area at a different level of energy. They basically are causing micro injury. And then the tissue is growing back in a more youthful manner. I refuse to, I'm not going to use the term rejuvenate. Like that's so disparaging and so triggering, but what we are doing is we are replenishing (laughs) replacing whatever word you like. Okay. So that's, that's one thing. And I think the other thing is also understanding that sexuality changes and being okay with that. If you are partnered, having the conversation with your partner, because things may be changing for that person as well and changing it up. The other thing is if you're in a long-term relationship, I mean, there's other issues here. Libido and sexuality are not just like an on off switch. If you've been with the same person for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, you know, you're going to have to like make it fun again or make it exciting. Or, you know, you're driving carpool and he's traveling and it's like, ugh, you know, your head hits the pillow and you're like, and like, I don't even don't. Oh my God. He's getting close. Oh shoot no snoring in two seconds, you know, that's like relationship stuff and understanding that there needs to be a conversation and communication. And it's not like you're 22 and you get a whiff of something down the hall and you know, that's it. You're there like that. Now that what's interesting is when people are in new relationships, sometimes that does come back because it's chemistry, it's dopamine, it's anticipation, it's excitement. If you are willing to do the work, you can infuse all of that back in. You can, but you're going to have to put an intention. I tell people all the time I'm like, nighttime isn't a thing or the the kids are in the house. So then you're going to have to find some other way. And maybe it doesn't seem sexy to say Thursday afternoon, no one's home. Come you're coming home and we're doing it. You know, like that actually could be very fun and exciting. It's not spontaneous. Okay. Sorry. Like we got to roll with it. So there's a lot of like behavioral things and then in combination with the hormonal changes that we can address and just the tissue changes we can address. And this is all sort of like functional stuff. But the other thing too, is like, I've really been starting to think about this. I had a young patient come in, like a 23 year old patient come in really concerned about her libido. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting. And one of the things we talked about was like, okay, so what is sex for you? Like, can you also think about like penetrative cisheteronormative sex like, is, maybe that's not for Maybe your libido isn't low. Maybe that's like not what does it for you. And she was like, and of course, she was more into that stuff because she's 23. But I was like, it made me think about it, too. Like, we get very, again, we get attached to our period and our cycle. We get attached to way sex needs to be. Pleasure, intimacy, vulnerability, communication, that can change and evolve. Mm-hmm. If you don't want it to, then you can work on it in different ways. And, again when we don't talk about it or when all we, when the narrative is like, it sucks, he sucks, this, that, that, you know, those words are powerful. I mean, can we look at reframing that saying like, wow, I'm sad. Something has changed. There's a lot of grief that comes up for people because things are changing. They're losing things. If you've had that sort of more traditional life and your kids now are moving out and moving on. And who are you? You know, like you have to grieve that part of your life and that is okay. Like that's a process. That's not necessarily a bad thing. When we suppress
0: it, that's what's not healthy. But it feels like a triple whammy to have grief, which I agree comes with this part of aging on top of like raging PMS yeah. on top yeah. of, you know, all the different probably why layers. There's a lot of divorces in that age group, you know, seriously, it's no, it, real. Yeah, that is real. You got divorced. Yes, I did.
1: Time. I mean, that was not like, oh, out of the blue. I mean, what divorce is, but yeah, you know, I think about it. I'm like, oh, did I do that? No, <laughs> that was, that was very, it was a very hard period of time.
0: Yeah. But you found a partner. Yeah. Post menopause? No, mean-
1: if you can believe this, I am not done. It's so insane. Why your is your homegirl is? I'm gonna be 57. Please help me. Although I'm kind of secretly like, cool, you know. Let's see what happens. It's funny because he <laughs> talks about this a lot because my boyfriend, my partner, does boot camp with me. He does the fitness portion. He's a fitness pro of like 35 years and he's actually worked for decades with middle-aged women here in Studio City in West LA you know like that's kind of who was going to the trainer that's who he's he's done a lot of other things he's a bodybuilder blah blah but he's had a like a core group of clients that are middle-aged women so he was he came into this period of life with me like fully getting what was going on in a way that I didn't even realize so he's really watched me go through it we met when i was 49
0: so it's it's that's been interesting very for That both is of us. interesting. Uh-huh. Are you, are you providing hope for everyone that then you met a bodybuilder? <laughs> that's a whole thing. <laughs> that is a whole pa- thing. a patient set us up.
1: Really? Yes. I was like, I'm a gynecologist. I'm never gonna meet a man. <laughs> I was kinda like, whatever, I'm just trying to get over my, my all my stuff, you know? Well, that's a good story. Oh, it's a great story. It's it's fun. He has his own version. Oh. <laughs> I bet he does. Oh, yes, he does.
0: Yeah. I've loved this conversation. Thank you for being here and talking about all the things. I feel like we covered a lot of territory. Yes, we did. <laughs> and it was really great. I will put a link in the show notes, of course, to your new book, Menopause Boot Camp. Is it something, because I have some local listeners, is it something people can go to still?
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll probably be working on getting some stuff together there's been a lot going on. But the other thing that's actually really going to be cool is I'm creating a certification program because I also understand that not only can I, you know, not physically be all places, you know, all the time, but I have the framework and the information for people and sort of a way to approach it. But you're going to understand your community and your community's needs way better than I ever could. And I feel really strongly that I want people to have this opportunity to, as I said, get the information out there, but really create the community. I see this as like a grassroots movement. I really do.
0: I want people to take hold of it. So, the certification program will be for people to be able to lead their own menopause exactly. boot camps. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Like across the nation. Yeah. Across the globe. Listen, I just got a message on Instagram.
1: I got tagged and I was like, what is this? It's a cafe bookstore chainlet in Pakistan that found my book and posted about it. And now I am talking to them about like doing a virtual author event. I was blown away wow so gratified yeah like the power people need this yeah people want to talk about it they They do do. even though they don't like the word menopause (laughs)
0: no i don't but hearing people talk about it like we were saying celebrities do or high profile people talking about it has been very beneficial but actually having a book that you can hold in your hand and reference back and all of that that is that's a great thing to have on your shelf yeah so
1: i'm so glad. glad you wrote it oh thank you for having me and thank you for reading it yeah
0: this was super fun you've just listened to an episode of the 10 things to tell you podcast for show notes and links go to 10 things to make sure you're following us on facebook and instagram at 10 things to tell you and you can also join our free connection group on facebook to discuss episodes and topics for bonus content ad free episodes and monthly zoom gatherings with me join my secret stuff patreon community by going to 10 things to slash secret stuff thanks for listening